let us take a moment to pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Last Sunday, following the ecumenical prayer cycle, we prayed for the countries of the Balkans, from which comes the Serbian Orthodox Alleluia that we've been singing this morning. This part of the world is so near and dear to my heart. Some of you know that between 2000 and 2008, I lived for about a year in Kosovo, just after the end of the war, leading a program to provide social services to the most vulnerable of that whole vulnerable nation. And then a couple of years later, I moved to Albania to manage a program to reduce human trafficking and to support its survivors. During that decade, I came to know and really love the lands and people of Serbia, Croatia, Macedonia, Albania, and the newly independent Kosovo. The Yugoslav wars of the previous decade had left these peoples and lands ravaged and struggling to recover. Albania was not part of the actual war, but was emerging from the terrors and repression of the most extreme of the former communist governments in the region. Wherever I went, with whomever I worked, I encountered marginalized, vulnerable, grieving people, families, and communities. Our gospel reading today speaks to us of a different grieving, vulnerable community. Several groups in our congregation are studying Brian McLaren's book, We Make the Road Together. This past week, that reading focused on the chapter 33, The Uprising Begins, where Brian McLaren imagines what it was like for the disciples in the immediate days following the crucifixion of the Lord, our Jesus Christ, sorry, following the crucifixion of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Telling the story in the first person, McLaren draws us into the experience of the first Easter tide. At dawn before the sun had risen, some women who are part of our movement went to the tomb to properly wash Jesus' corpse and prepare it for burial. When they arrived, they had a vision involving angels. One of the women claimed that Jesus appeared to her. The women came and told the disciples. Peter went running back and found the tomb empty, empty, and the burial cloths were still there, neatly folded. Who would take a naked corpse and leave the bloody cloth that it was wrapped in? Peter wondered what was going on, but he didn't have clear theory. We all speculated, but none of us knew what to think, goes on McLaren. We decided to go back home. That's where we are now, walking on that road back home. It's about a seven-mile walk to our little town of Emmaus. It takes a couple of hours. Along the way, we've been talking about this, 
trying to come up with some kind of interpretation of the events that have transpired. Suddenly we notice this other fellow walking towards us, a stranger. We lower our voices. He comes a little closer. What are you folks talking about, he asks. One of us replies, are you kidding? Are you the only person in this whole region who doesn't know all that's been happening in Jerusalem recently? Like what, he asks. We tell him about Jesus, that he was clearly a prophet, a prophet who said and did amazing things. We tell him how the religious and political leaders came together to arrest him. We go into some detail about the crucifixion on Friday. We had hoped, he says, and one of us says, and pauses. We had hoped. We had hoped that this Jesus was the one who was going to turn things around for Israel, that he would set us free from the Roman occupation. We walk on a few steps, and he adds, and this morning was the third day since his death, and some women from our group told us that, we had a, that they had a vision of angels who said he is alive. It was pretty clear from the tone of his voice that none of us took the report of the women very seriously. That's when the stranger interrupts. <clears throat> you just don't get it, do you, he says. This is exactly what the prophet said would happen. They have, been they have been telling us all along that the liberator would have to suffer and die like this before entering his glory. As we continue walking with him, he starts to explain things to us from the scriptures. He begins with Moses, and step by step he shows us the pattern of God's work in history, culminating in what happened in Jerusalem in recent days. God calls someone to proclaim God's will. Resistance and rejection follow, often culminating in an expulsion or murder to silence the speaker. But this isn't a sign of defeat. This is the only way God's most important messages are ever heard, through someone on the verge of being rejected. God's word doesn't come in dominating, crushing force. It comes only in vulnerability, in weakness, in gentleness just as we have seen over this last week, says the stranger. McLaren shows us Jesus's compassion for his frightened, grieving, and marginalized followers. They were a community confused and uncertain as they struggled to come to terms with what they'd so recently witnessed, the horrific sacrifice of their beloved Rabboni, 
at the hands of the Roman occupiers who were encouraged to do so by the local religious power structure. They are awash in thoughts and emotions of grief, confusion, doubt, and I suspect more than a bit of anger and sense of betrayal. When I imagine the disciples in this state, I see the faces of Kosovars I visited in their burned out homes, sheltering in one restored and warm room. I see the look of anger, disgust, grief, and fear in the eyes of the old men describing how the soldiers marched through their village. I see the look of resignation and fear, fear to hope on the faces of my Albanian colleagues when they tell me stories of how their political leaders have betrayed and robbed their country. But the bigger memory that I take away from those many years with these amazing people is their remarkable shared characteristics of resilience. They had the courage to acknowledge their grief, to be with their grief. They often didn't want to demonstrate their grief and they didn't want to talk about it, but they didn't run away from it. Many were struggling with survivor's guilt and seeking ways to process and make meaning about their traumatic experiences. They learned that bearing witness by naming the powers that persecute and exploit gave them strength and unity and courage. They learned that they were strongest when they joined together to challenge power. But they also saw that coming together as the way to restore themselves and create new communities or restore their former communities. So too, they saw the power of restoring their families and where families were lost of creating new family. Families of blood, but also families of affinity. And most, boy, did we share jokes and laughter and music and dancing. Together, these people who were surviving so much trauma found their resilience in creating meaning, meaning out of the collective experience that they shared of marginalization and vulnerability. Our reading from this, mor this morning from the Gospel of John is the well-known story of the disciple who came to be dubbed Doubting Thomas. Often he is used as a metaphor for lack of faith because he dared to challenge the risen Christ standing there before him. Is it possible that Thomas were showing resistance and resilience? Vulnerable and marginalized people learn the hard way to be skeptical and so they protect themselves from being disappointed, cheated, and exploited. Thomas was no meek follower. He had the courage to challenge the stranger who stood before him. This 
one who he yearned to believe was his Rabboni. That kind of strength is the strength it takes to be vulnerable. And I, as we're remembering these stories from far away and long ago, I'm very mindful that the whole world right now is uniquely sharing this common experience of vulnerability to the COVID pandemic. And suddenly I think these experiences and these characteristics of resilience take on new and deep meaning for us in our own families and as we join together in solidarity with the world. We who are connected through this wonderful Lutheran church in Geneva often are reticent to identify ourselves as either vulnerable or marginalized. Many of you may remember Reverend Dr. Shanta Premadana, a former member of our congregation. Shanta has been teaching me to reconsider that self-understanding. Shanta is the visionary CEO of the Omnia Institute for Contextual Leadership in Chicago. Omnia has trained hundreds of grassroots interfaith peacemakers in Nigeria, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and now through virtual groups, through uh, people in the US and here in France. These teams of religious leaders and other people of faith work coll collaboratively and effectively to counter religious extremism and religion-based oppression, domination, and violence. As part of the peacemaker training, participants learn to realize that each of us has characteristics of conditions uh, and conditions of supremacy, privilege, marginalization, and vulnerability. Every single one of us. None of us fits just one category. For example, take me. I have the privilege of coming from a secure upper middle class family in California. This has given me financial security and access to wonderful education and support to dare to take the risks as I've pursued my dreams. I'm a fifth generation white European American who has never been a target of racism. Yet despite how hard I try, implicit bias is part of me. I'm a cis straight woman who has never had to face exclusion due to my sexual preference or my gender identity. I'm also a survivor of sexual abuse and violence who has learned to live with a lifelong sense of vulnerability. In France, I'm a foreigner who really struggles to engage in the community life because my language skills are so weak. There it is, all in this one person standing here in front of you. Supremacy, privilege, vulnerability, marginalization. What about you? Do you recognize many seemingly conflicting realities all wrapped up in your one self? Are you both privileged and vulnerable? Is supremacy sometimes part of your experience and yet in other ways 
you know and feel you are marginalized? Was this true for that small group of men and women who encountered the risen Christ on their road home to Emmaus? We all have vulnerabilities, individually and collectively. Like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, grieving and bewildered by the murder of their Rabboni, it is in our times and conditions of vulnerability that we most need the accompaniment, the guidance, the reassurance of our holy parent and our holy brother. It is our faith in them and the promise of their faith in us that is the true foundation on which all of our resilience rests. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.